Today, we are continuing in our series on the letter to the Philippians. And I encourage you, if you missed any of that, uh, you can find all of the other messages online on our website at LancasterFirst.com in the media tab. Now, last time, as we began chapter 2, we saw that Paul continues with this theme of love and unity. You know, and in verses 1 and 2, we saw that there were four motivations that should flow from the gospel, right? Encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, fellowship with and of the Spirit, and tenderness and compassion. And then we saw that these should lead us towards four expressions or behaviors in the body of Christ, like like-mindedness, having the same love as Jesus, being one in spirit, being one in purpose. And so today we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And as we do, we'll see Paul's continuing on in this idea of love and unity as he's going to get more specific about what that looks like. And so as we begin these verses this morning, you know, you've often heard me say that context is really important, right? What's the rule of context? Context rules, right? And so if we're going to understand the meaning of the passage, we need to understand the historical and the cultural context it was given. Well, there's also another important context to understand, and it's the cultural context in which the word is received. If we're going to apply the word correctly, we have to understand our own cultural context, right? The, uh, the things that have shaped us as an individual, right, that has shaped us as a church, that has shaped us uh, as a community, and uh, that impact how we interact with, with, with our world, and how we interpret the world around us. And I'm sure that all of you have noticed in the past couple of weeks that our entire country has been rocked by the tragic death of a black man named George Floyd. We all saw the disturbing images as this man had been restrained and handcuffed and who was not resisting and had his neck kneeled on for many minutes as he pleaded that he could not breathe. While others in authority who could have done something instead did nothing, and the result was the tragic death of a man who shouldn't have died. And these images have rightly shocked us and horrified us and angered us, and our hearts go out to this man's family, as well as our hearts going out to some of the others have died, who have died in the aftermath, like, like David Dorn and, and eight others who have since died and perished, I think, needlessly because of all of this. It's wrong. It shouldn't happen. And in the aftermath of all of this, it just seems like there are a million voices that are clamoring to be heard. And while, while all of these voices are clamoring to be heard, there's also this cry that people should speak up and say something. And that if you don't, maybe you're part of the problem, I've even heard some people say, or, or maybe you're even the cause of the problem. But the difficulty right now is that with everyone yelling and pointing fingers uh, at everyone, it just seems like no one is actually listening to anyone else. And no one's actually really being heard. And this event that, that really should have united us all has instead, in many ways, I think, been co-opted by people with agendas who are trying to keep us angry and hostile towards other people who God dearly loves. And the result is a million voices are clamoring to be heard and hardly anyone is being heard. And in the midst of all this, it's apparent to me as a pastor that there is one voice above all others that needs to be heard. 
One voice that we as individuals, as families, as the body of Christ, as a community, desperately need to hear right now. And it's the voice of our loving Heavenly Father. It's the voice of our gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, it's a voice that as a society, we have done, I think, our level best to silence. You know, and I say, not with anger, but I think with tears in my eyes and, and with a heavy heart that over the course of many years, we've turned the volume down on God's voice so that we no longer hear him in our culture. We no longer hear him in public policy on all levels. We no longer hear him in schools. We no longer hear him in our entertainment. We've turned the volume down on the God of justice and mercy and peace. And so is it any wonder that our culture is so often lacking in justice and mercy and peace? You know, we desperately need to hear God's voice. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a prophet whose name was Habakkuk. And in his day, he cried out to God about all of the violence and the murders and the injustice that, that he was seeing in his day. And, and in God's response, we find this very insightful verse in, in, in chapter 2, verse 20 of Habakkuk. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And it's like God is saying, you know, turn down the volume for a minute. Like, turn down the volume on your own thoughts, on your own ideas. Turn down the volume on your own emotions for a minute and turn up the volume on God's voice and listen to him and hear what he has to say. You know, not what everybody else is saying, not what everyone's saying on social media, what everybody's saying on your favorite news station. But turn up the volume on the gracious, loving voice of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and I don't mean that we run to the streets with a big Bible and hit people on the head or anything like that. I mean that before we run to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and point angry fingers and yell at everybody else about how they should do better, you know, maybe we should take a minute and look into the spiritual mirror, the Word of God. And see if God might show us how, how we can do better. Because when God speaks, everyone else should quiet their hearts and listen. You know, the writer of Hebrews said it this way, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them from earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And so as we look at our verses in Philippians today, you know, I'm not bringing really a, a, a message about this entire topic, really. I'm bringing a message about Philippians. But we'll find that these verses have always been applicable in our lives. They'll be applicable again in five years and 10 years and 50 years to whatever is going on in our lives then. You know, and I trust that they'll be applicable to us right now as individuals, as families, as, as a church, and as a culture right now as well. So would you bow in prayer with me over this message? Oh, dear God, please just give us ears to hear what you're saying to us right now. Help us to turn down our own volume for a few minutes so we can hear your voice and your heart. And God, even as I speak, I confess, you know, it's not me. It's not my voice that needs to be heard, God. It's you. It's your words. 
God, so please, it's my prayer that you'd eliminate anything from me, of me from this message, so that only what's left of you will enter the hearts of those who hear. God, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, and let's uh, uh, turn up the volume on God's voice. And it starts um, here. Paul is continuing with the ideas of unity and love for each other, and he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. All right, so let's unpack this, all right? You know, there's several takeaways from these verses that we can apply to our lives. Um, And uh, two of them are negative things that we should avoid. And three of them are positive things that we should do. So let's look at them. First, God says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, note that God doesn't say here, don't have ambition, right? It's not ambition that's bad. If you have ambition to do something or to be something, that's not necessarily bad. If you want to be a doctor you know, or a lawyer or a parent or, or, something, or something else, that's not really necessarily bad, especially when that is informed by Colossians 3.17, right? That says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So if you've got some ambition and you can do it in a way that would make Jesus proud, that would, that would honor Jesus, right? The ambition's not bad. But selfish ambition is very bad. Selfish ambition is ambition that is not controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's ambition that is driven by the sinful nature. It has no concern for anyone else. It's it's only concerned with self-promotion. And the object of the ambition becomes so important that it has to remove anyone or anything that's in the way. Selfish ambition. It's what steps on others while trying to climb to the top of the mountain. It's what pushes people off of the ladder of success while we're trying to climb it. Selfish ambition will will hurt other people to obtain its object. You remember in chapter 1 when Paul said that there were even those who were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, supposing that they could stir up trouble for Paul. I mean, they thought that if they could get Paul out of the way, that would give them more room for their perceived ministry. And I tell you what, that's messed up. I mean, that's just twisted. Selfish ambition is twisted. And it will hurt other people to get what it desires. Uh, you know, and this illustrates something for us about selfish ambition. It's driven by a deep-seated insecurity. Selfish ambition is fearful. It's driven by this belief that, you know what, only a few people are going to be able to make it to the top of the mountain. So I have to claw and climb my way and step on everybody who's in my way to get there, right? It's driven by this fear that, you know, there's only so many ladders of success. And so I have to push people off to get there first. I have to knock down some ladders so people don't get there before I do, right? It's driven by a belief that there's only one pie of a certain size. And I have to get my piece at all costs, right? It's driven by insecurity and fear, and it drives people to dark places. This is why James said, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have every evil practice and disorder. But godly ambition, it does the opposite, right? An ambition that's controlled by the Holy Spirit and driven by this motivation to do all in the name of Jesus, 
um, it says things like this. It says, you know what, let's work together to get to the top of the mountain because there's room up there for everybody, right? It, it says things like, you know what, let's build more ladders so that everybody can climb them, right? Let's help somebody out of the valley, right? Uh, let's, let's make more pies so that everyone can have a piece of pie, right? That's what godly ambition says. So do nothing out of selfish ambition. And then the next takeaway is this. He says, do nothing out of vain conceit. Now, this is an interesting phraseology here. The word vain is translated from a Greek word that means empty or of no purpose or futile, right? It, it, it's used as like in the same way that Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, all is futile, all is, all is useless and meaningless. And the word conceit means an excessive pride concerning oneself or one's accomplishment. So the idea here is having an empty, meaningless, vain opinion of oneself based on an excessive pride about what, who you are or what you've done, right? That's selfish, I mean, that's vain conceit. It's the person who's just really impressed with themselves. You've all seen those type of people, right? I mean, as far as they're concerned, their, um, their favorite person in the room is themselves. The favorite person to listen to is themselves, right? I mean, as far as they're concerned, in their high school yearbook, uh, they should have received all of the uh, superlatives. It, it should have the most talented, most likely to succeed. I mean, everything, it should have been them. Vain conceit, meaningless pride. You know, and, and the reason God warns us against these things, against this kind of negative pride, is that it causes problems between people and it cr- causes cr- problems between us and God. You know, in Proverbs, it says that where there's strife, there's pride. And a fool's mouth lashes out with pride. And pride goes before destruction. And so pride causes strife and, and lashing out and destruction in human relationships. You know, so thinking that you're better than someone else, thinking um, that you're, you're just more worthy than someone else, it causes strife and lashing out and destruction. It causes problems and divisions between people. And it causes problems between us and God. Problems, again, it says, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. And Peter says that God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Isaiah said that on the day of the Lord, the arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. He said, I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and will humble the pride of of the ruthless. You know, and the scriptures are filled with examples of people who crashed and burned because of their pride. I mean, think of King Saul. It says he was once small in his own eyes. But then when he got proud, he began to disobey God and the kingdom was taken from him. Think about the scribes and the Pharisees. How many of them, they were so proud and and, and lifted up in their own hearts and so they turned down the volume on Jesus so that they couldn't hear their own Messiah. And they missed him because of their pride. And we could talk about Hezekiah and King Uzziah and, and King Nebuchadnezzar. All of them crashed and burned because of their pride. Destructive pride. Vain conceit causes problems between people who should love each other and be- separates us from the grace of God and renders us unable to hear the voice of God who's ready to pour out grace and love on the humble. 
You know, the Apostle Paul, Paul, uh, John said it this way. You know, it's one of those three things that we should avoid. He said, the, avoid the, the lust of the eyes, the, pride of, uh, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Right? Now, think about that for a minute. A third of all the sins and problems in the world come from this pride. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and do nothing out of vain conceit. All right, so he's given us the two negative things to avoid now, and now he's going to give us three positive things that we need to do. It's the flip side of that, all right? Things that we should have and do. And the first is this. He says, have humility. In humility, value others above yourselves. Now, some people balk at this idea of humility, right? Because they see it as weak. You know, if I'm humble, then people are just going to walk all over me, right? If I'm humble, then people are going to take advantage of me. Or if I'm humble, then that means I have to think bad thoughts about myself or think negative thoughts about myself all the time. Well, that's a misunderstanding of biblical humility. Biblical humility, it doesn't think bad thoughts about itself. It just doesn't think about itself at all. Pride thinks about itself. Pride focuses on itself, whether in vain, glorious ways, like, boy, I'm just all that, or, or in negative ways, focused on itself, saying that I'm just terrible, I'm just awful. Either way, it's focused on self. But genuine humility, biblical humility, doesn't focus on itself at all. Instead, it focuses on others and on God. You know, and it's very freeing because you have a God who says that, He'll take care of you. You have a God who says things like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. You have a God who says that I'll provide everything you need out of my riches in glory. And so you're free to stop thinking about and focusing on yourself, and you're free to start focusing on others and on God, and to let God sit on the throne of your heart and rule from there. Have humility. And then this humility will lead us naturally to the next thing in our passage. He says, value others above yourself. In humility, value others above yourselves. You know, can I tell you what? That's counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, it's natural to value ourselves above other people. I mean, that's natural. That's easy. I mean, no one has to teach us to do that. That comes natural. But it's spiritual to value others above ourselves. I mean, that doesn't come naturally. That takes a heart that is ruled by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit of God. All right, and so how do we do that? I mean, how do we value others? What does it look like to value others? Well, he's going to answer that in the next verse. Verse 4, he says, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, of the others. So we begin to ask, you know, What does my neighbor need? We begin to see past our own needs and begin to see the needs of others. And if you notice here, this implies action. You remember when we looked at verse 1 last time, we said that, you know, a relationship with Jesus should produce tenderness and compassion. And tenderness, that's the ability to see someone else's pain, right? To to see it. And, you know, that's important. I mean, to get our eyes off of ourselves and everything that's always going on inside of us and to look outside of ourselves and see someone else. You know, see what they're going through, right? That's important. Compassion is the action that alleviates it. It's the hand that does something to help. You know, in the pain and the anguish of the last couple of weeks, you know, we do need to see that. 
We do need tenderness of God to see beyond our own lives and see what God wants us to see. You know, and of course, this seeing has led a lot of people to begin expressing the need to, you know, have a conversation about these things, to talk, to speak out on this injustice. Can I suggest as humbly as I possibly can, and as someone who doesn't believe that I have all the answers to everything that is plaguing our society, can I suggest that as much as these conversations are needed, that we might be aiming a little too low, that we might miss something important. Because two things are are concerning me about this. First, it seems like right now, the, the more we keep talking at each other, the more arguments and anger are being produced. And I don't want you to misunderstand my heart. You know, I'm not saying that, that communication and hearing one another aren't important. They are. I'm just observing that for whatever reason right now, it's producing a lot more anger. And then secondly, I'm concerned with this, that it's easy to talk about something, about an issue, but it's harder to do something about it, to actually take some action and do something about it. And it's easy to, to feel like, you know, I talked, I said something, you know, I put something on my Facebook, and, and now I'm a good person, right? Because I said something on my Facebook, and, and, I, and, and now everything is fixed, when, when, when it's really not. It may be tenderness, but it may fall short of compassion. And what I mean is this, when the good Samaritan came across the guy who was, who was all beat up and left lying there for dead... He didn't stop with a conversation. I mean, he really didn't even start with a conversation. He just used his hands and he did something to help. He showed compassion on the man. Now, he couldn't do everything. I mean, he couldn't help every person who had been beaten up on that pass. You know, but when he came across somebody, he did something about it. He did what was in his power to do. And that's what I think that this verse is talking about. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Compassionate action. You know, maybe sometimes we can do more good with our hands than we can with our mouth. Sometimes. Instead of yelling and expressing anger at nameless people on social media and faceless people on the other side of the country, why not actually... Do something helpful for an actual, real person right here in our community. Looking to the interests of others. You know, and I know a lot of you who are listening to me have been doing that in so many ways. At ministries like CityGate and our homeless ministry and and Water Street Mission, the prison ministry, the YWCA, in compassionate ministry outreaches right here in our community, and sometimes in compassionate outreaches across the world. Some of you spent time teaching and ministering and and loving and loving kids, and some of them have, have tutored kids and helped them have, have better grades in school so they can kind of climb out of, of the valley they're in, right, and reach the top of the mountain, looking to the interests of others, helping someone else climb the ladder. And, you know, and I think God's heart here in these verses, it's not condemnation, I mean, but rather to encourage a tender spirit that responds with compassionate action. You know, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, you know, he acknowledged that they love all of the people of God all throughout Macedonia. But then he added this. He said, 
But we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. And that's my heart. And I believe it's the heart of God. You know, I don't want to just sit, you know, in the safety of, of my home behind a, a computer screen, behind a wall called the Internet, and, and, and lob grenades of criticism at other people, right? God help me to love more and more. God help us to If we're already loving, God help us to just continue to love more and more. Help us to love our families more and more. Help us to love our church body more and more. Help us, God, to love our community more and more. That's the heart of God. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Have humility. Value others. And lastly, he says, act like Jesus. Now, I know that sounds a little cliche, right? Uh, But Paul says here to behave like Jesus. Look at verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so when we relate to other, we do it the same way that Jesus did. I mean, so how did Jesus relate to people? Well, Paul tells us what he's thinking about in the next three verses. In your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That, that, that is not to be used to his own advantage or something to hold on to at all costs, right? In other words, he wasn't insecure in his position. Verse 7, it says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That is, he emptied himself. He left all of the glories of heaven where where angels worshipped him, where streets were made of gold, where there was no sin or violence of any type ever, where everybody did everything he said immediately all the time uh, without uh, complaining and without delay. He emptied himself of all of that to come here to be born one of us, to walk the same dusty roads that that we walk, to, to live among us, to walk beside us, to teach us, to heal us, to put up with us, to put up with people who questioned him all the time and were slow to listen and slow to obey. But there's even more than that. Verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus served us by dying on a cross. And it's really not that we were that great. It's not that I was that great. I didn't deserve any of that. It says that God demonstrates his own love for us. He demonstrates his love for me, for you, in this, while we were still sinners. While I was still a rotten sinner. While you were still a rotten sinner. Christ died for us, for me, for you. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. He paid the penalty for our sin, for my sin. He gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. He sacrificed for us so we wouldn't have to. You know what? That is some kind of love. I mean, that's some kind of example of leaving your comfort zone, right, to help someone who needs it. And Paul says here, you know, in your relationship with others, do that. Be like that. Imitate that. Be sacrificing, be loving, leave your comfort zone, act like Jesus did towards others. You know what? I have to tell you, 
You know, that's a tall order. You know, and if I'm honest, you know, I don't know that I've always lived up to that order. And I, I tell you what, if all of you are honest, none of you have always lived up, you know, to that standard. There's only one Jesus, right? Jesus is the only one who ever completely lived up to that standard. But that's our goal. That's our desire to be imitators of Jesus. In our relationships with others, inside the body of Christ and in the community, have the same mindset of Jesus. Treat people like Jesus did. Act like Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Have humility, value others above yourselves, and act like Jesus. All right, as we get ready to close this morning, I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute. But I want to uh, encourage you, if you're watching at home, uh, uh, in just a few minutes, Pastor Mark is going to go online live, and uh, I I believe we'll be able to do that on Facebook, and uh, he'll be praying for all of your prayer requests. I'll be going out to the parking lot to just greet some people who are out there in their cars and pray with you as well there, and so um, if you would go ahead and do that right now and get ready for that, and um, if you would all right now just bow in prayer with me, amen. God, thank you for your word this morning and for your grace towards us this morning. God, we want, not just for today and for these moments, but for all of our lives, God, our our Mondays through Saturdays as well, to turn the volume down on our own thoughts, God, our own ideas and our own emotions, and turn the volume up on your voice, on your word, on your grace, God. So God, please help us, help us hear your voice this morning. God, help us turn down all that other stuff. God, help us to get rid of selfish ambition. God, help us get rid of vain conceit and pride. God, grant us humility. God, help us to value others and see others with a tender heart. God, and touch others with compassionate hands. And God, help us in our relationships with everyone to have the same sacrificial mindset as Jesus had towards others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And I'll be looking forward to seeing so many of you next week. Amen.